Amen. Have you ever been in church and the Lord is just showing you wonderful stuff, but it has nothing to do with the sermon? Has that ever happened? I mean, it happens to me. I don't know. Maybe they're, they're like afraid to nod. You know, they're like, oh. But just being in church, God can show you stuff, even if it has nothing to do with what's being said. It's being in the environment, being in uh, the gathering of God's people is a, is a great thing and it allows the Lord to touch us. So we are continuing our summer series called Big Words. We're talking about various big words. We talked about shame last week. Uh, that was an important one. It's very important to understand false shame and to be free from that, to not be caught up in especially religious shame. It's a very dangerous thing. Jesus came to set us free, not to make us caught up in a, in a shame-based power structure where we're manipulated through shame. So we don't want to have that happen. Uh, and we talked about that last week. This week, our big word is the word salvation. Salvation. Have you heard that before? Salvation? I imagine so. So we have a Savior who saves us so we can have salvation. Right? That's, that's the deal. So we've got salvation is Jesus, the bringer of salvation, is the Savior. And then we get saved. And then we have salvation. And what all does that exactly mean? You know, when I, uh, when I first became a Christian, I had no idea what any of these words meant. I was a pastor when I found out what Advent was. You know, like, oh, okay, now I get it. I understand what they're talking about. Because it's not in there, you know. Advent isn't, it doesn't say Advent in the Bible. I mean, the thing they celebrate during Advent is very much in there. But that term isn't in there. So trying to understand these words can be a little bit tricky and making sure we have the, the context and the groundwork laid so we can understand what God is doing. I did some research on salvation and I found out it's actually a very ill-defined term. In the scriptures, it means all kinds of different things. It's a very vague term. It's like, uh, you know, like to get saved is like to be rescued. Well, that can mean lots of different things depending on the context and the situation and all the things that are going on. And salvation is used the same way. And I think there can be some fundamental mistakes that people have in their understanding based on not realizing how that word's being used in certain places. So we are going to look at just what is salvation? What does it mean to get saved? What does it mean to be being saved? (laughs) What does it mean to wait for your salvation? What does all that stuff mean? But the first question is, are you worth being saved? Have you, ever, you know, you, uh, when Trinette makes a wonderful meal and we have leftovers, we may save the leftovers, right? I mean, if the meal wasn't that good. She's gluten-free, so... <laughs> Sometimes... She's not in here. Oh no, she's right there. I thought, I thought I was safe. I'll, I'll just talk to you guys for a while. Um, sometimes it's not worth saving. You know what I mean? You're thinking, I'm not eating that again, especially cold out of the fridge. Ah. Because it's gluten-free and she had no capacity to succeed. It's not her fault in any way at all. That's it. Amen. 22 years 
of marriage, you learn a few things along the way. But not everything. i got a little ways to go yet. <laughs> but we need to know, are we worth saving? Do you actually matter enough to the living God for Him to care enough to go through the process of saving you? Because you know, we're not just saved, we're redeemed. Saving your leftovers costs you nothing. You just put them in the fridge. To redeem something means you save it and it costs you something. There's a price you have to pay to save it. We have been redeemed. Our God not only saw fit to save us, but He paid a price for us. We are valuable in His sight, not just valuable enough to, at no cost to Him, save. But, He was willing to pay the price and redeem us. Jesus loves us. Have you heard that before? Amen? That's good. Last week when we talked about shame, we said, uh, and I hope this stuck with you, that Jesus does not manipulate us by shaming us, but He moves us by valuing us. Do you understand that? He does not manipulate us by shaming us. Have you ever been manipulated by being shamed? Somebody's trying to get you to do something, so they just yell at you a lot, or there's this overarching uh, family structure or whatever where you got to make sure so-and-so doesn't get mad at you, so you have to do this and you have to do that, and it's a shame-based culture. Jesus is not about shame. He's about value. It's not about trying to not fail. It's about realizing how much we mean to the living God and rising to His expectation of who we are. He values us. Jesus believes you are worth saving, and He's a pretty good judge of character. Amen? Somebody, one time, you know, I grew up outside the church, got saved uh, when I was 19, and then there was kind of a process uh, of getting to know the Lord and figuring stuff out. And then now I've been running in Christian circles for a while and people forget, or you know, they sort of assume I must have been a pastor's kid or something. You know, if you're a preacher, you must be a pastor's kid because, you know, who else does that? Uh, you know, to, but uh, there are a group of us who are from the outside and we've come in, you know. That's, that's right. Come on, from the outside. I I really enjoyed, well, I, should, I don't even know how to say that. It's nice to have the perspective of having been on the outside. Certain things aren't scary. Certain things you just understand better having been on the outside. And one of those things is understanding that Jesus loves us in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our goofed up, messed up lives. He loves us. And so, as a pastor, people want me to hate various people that are messed up. You know what I mean? Like we have rallies and stuff about hating various groups and various people. And of course, that's a dramatic distortion of the Gospel. It's quite a, quite a messed up thing. 
And uh, so people want me to hate so-and-so and such-and-such and whatever. And, uh, and so I don't know. I was trying to figure out, well, what do I say to these people? You know, because, you know, don't you believe sin is sin? Well, yeah, I do. So what I finally realized was I could say this. Well, Jesus loves them and I'm with Jesus. I don't need to condone anything. I don't need to say everything is fine. I can say Jesus loves them and I'm with Him. You are worth saving. Jesus paid a big price for you. Saved from what? That's our next question. If you're worth saving, and you are, better make sure I say that again. Because that shame-based religion thing, it doesn't make you seem like you're worth anything. Right? Make, you know, you're just this sniveling goo thing. And, uh, but you are actually extremely valuable. You are worth saving. Worth saving from what? That is the question. Let's go to the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And it says this. So this is the, uh, the angel talking to Joseph about Mary and the child that Mary will bear. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to save people from their sins. Now here it says his people. Are you His people? Amen. We are His people. All people on this earth, Albanians, Americans, Romas, Native Americans, we are all His people and loved by Him. I want to jump ahead, but I'm going to restrain myself. So, if we're going to get saved from sin, what is sin? That's important to define. I imagine we would have a fairly close consensus in the room if we tried to define sin, but I'm not sure it would be completely right. Let's look at a couple Bible dictionaries' definitions of sin. First, the New Unger's Bible Dictionary says, Sin is a falling away from or missing the right path. A falling away from or a missing the right path. God has a path for you. To miss that or to be on it and fall off of it is sin. Fawcett's Bible Dictionary says sin is coming short of our true end. God created you to be a certain person and to walk a certain path. To not fully actualize who you were created to be and to not walk out that path is sin. One thing that's important to notice is that is different from evil. Amen? Have you noticed that? That's not evil to 
to step off your path isn't necessarily evil. To not make it to your fullest potential and be all of who you were created to be isn't evil. I mean, evil is part of that. If you do evil, you weren't, that's not on your path. And that's not who you were created to be. So that's off the path. That's falling short of who you're supposed to be. It's part of that, but there are other things too. Do you remember what stopped the nation of Israel after they were set free from slavery in Egypt? Do you remember what stopped them from being all of who they were supposed to be and entering into the promised land? Do you remember what stopped them? Fear. God made them a promise, said, this is your land. They looked at the land and said, there are big scary people there with huge like swords and spears and stuff. We can't take the land. How did God respond to their fear? Was it a hug? Was it, oh, yeah, I can see how that would be scary. You've been a nation of slaves for 400 years, and now I'm asking you to go out and take over warring nations with big, scary people, and you've been beaten down. There's no one who even knew anybody that wasn't a beaten down slave in your entire culture, and I'm expecting you to go in and fight the giants. I understand. Give me a hug. It wasn't that at all. God saw the fear of the nation of Israel as sin and judgment came and all of them but two died in the desert. They did not reach their full potential because of fear. That fear isn't evil. It's not maliciousness. It's just a thing that stops us from getting to our full potential. And that is sin. Now, Do you see the good news in that definition of sin? They don't. (laughs) They're slipping into the shame thing. They're good at that. I feel bad for whatever it is. I don't know. You'll feel better in just a second. The good news is that we, that Jesus came to set us free from sin. So Jesus came to set us free from not reaching our full potential. Jesus came to set us free from slipping off of the path that we're supposed to be on. From not being all of who we are. He came to set us free from that. That should be good news. How many people feel like they've really become all of who they could be? You ever feel like you're born like in the wrong time? Like you should have been born 200 years ago or a thousand years ago? Or, you know, like, oh, I wanted to sail the oceans, one of those big creaky ships, you know, or whatever. Sometimes we feel like who I am doesn't get to happen. Jesus came to save us from sin. That means who you are does get to happen. You are saved from not being who you are. He values you. Let's look at three different ways. There are several. Let's look at three different ways that the Bible uses the word salvation. Now, 
Um, the first one will be the one that is the common definition, and uh, that's good. We want to know that. Let's look at three of the ways the Bible says that we are saved from sin. Number one, I'll just list them all and then we'll talk about them individually. Number one, we are saved from the penalty of sin, which is the judgment, the wrath of God. We are saved from the penalty of sin. Number two, we are saved from walking in sin, which is missing the mark, not being fully who we are. And then, we are saved from this world of sin when Jesus comes back and takes care of everything. You know, it doesn't matter how saved you are on the inside, the world is still a mess. Did you ever notice that? It's a mess. So we're not fully, completely saved, protected, redeemed from sin while we're walking around here. It hits us all the time. And if we're honest, there's still some of it in here that we're working on. We are saved from a penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 Very straightforward. For the wages of sin is death. That's very harsh. But again, remember Israel. Fear brought death. Not a hug. Our culture hugs you if you're afraid. God judged them. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a gift of eternal life from Jesus. Let's read Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. We're not going to be able to cover everything in these verses, but it's awesome stuff. But because of His great love for us. So, does God love us a little bit? Sort of a tolerance deal? Like, yeah, those people. How about us? Do we love each other how God loves us? If you think of God's love in terms of how people have responded to you, you will not understand how much God loves you. Because people don't love you like God loves you. And if you see yourself through the eyes of other people, you will not understand the love of God. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is by grace you have been saved. You have been saved. It is by grace that you have been forgiven. It is by grace that you have been set free, saved from the penalty of sin. And that is through faith.
says up there, you have been saved. Past tense. You have been saved. Now, there are other verses that don't have salvation in the past tense. They have it in the present tense or the future tense. So it's talking about different things. But here it's talking about we are set free from the penalty of sin. So instead of the wages of sin being death coming to us, we get eternal life when we trust in God. But we still need to be set free from these other parts of sin. So, we get saved from walking in sin, from missing the mark. Let's go to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. This, I don't know if you're real familiar with this one or not, but it's interesting. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, so this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he's telling them, keep at it, guys. Keep at it. Keep at it. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Are we to work out with fear and trembling, getting forgiven of our sins? Ah, I love these. So we got a, I got a few like little bitty motions. They're like scared to answer because they're not sure what the answer is. This is talking about being set free from falling short of who God created us to be. Being set free from wandering off the path that God called us to. This is not salvation as far as forgiveness of our sins and being brought into that place of eternal life instead of destruction or condemnation. This thing that we continue to work out is getting on the path and becoming the fullness of who we're supposed to be. Have you ever tried to do that? Get completely on the path that God has for you? Is it easy? Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'm assuming that we're missing something because it doesn't seem super easy all the time. And there's various things to say about that. But it's a battle, isn't it? Isn't it something you have to work out? You don't just receive it in three minutes. You can be forgiven like that. Somebody once said that the difference, the distance between heaven and hell is the difference between your knee and the ground. <laughs> go to your knees and pray to the Lord and you go from, from hell to heaven. It isn't a process of fighting and battling and trying to get forgiven. But staying on the road of serving God, staying in the place of becoming who God created you to be, you have to battle that out. Sometimes you're preparing for something 10 years in advance. You get off the road back there when it doesn't seem all that important and you miss the thing 10 years later. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Can you see if somebody saw that salvation as being forgiven and getting saved in that sense of asking Jesus to forgive our sins and bring us into His kingdom, if we thought that's that salvation, how you could get into a works mentality. 
how you could try to get forgiven through works. You could work out your getting forgiven, getting set free from the consequences of sin through fear and trembling and working it out. See how that could make a significant uh, problem in your understanding. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. We are to do His things. You know, our our vision statement is reach up, rise up, reach out. We want to connect with God. And then we want to grow in our faith. And then, we want to advance the kingdom. I've noticed in Christian circles, people like connecting with God. And they like doing stuff. But the growing in your faith part is hard. Because it involves seeing things about yourself that you wish weren't true. (laughs) one time I was uh, driving my this was a long time ago my uh, Mercury Grand Marquis it was great early 90's big humongous thing and I was driving it uh, on a logging road in the middle of winter and in this hilly country And I tell you what, Mercury Grand Marquis are not meant to be driven on ice and snow on logging roads. And I grew up driving on ice and snow because I grew up in North Dakota and they don't salt the roads there. They're just like, well, cold out. It's going to be slippery. (laughs) Don't drive into that tree. Um, And so... Learned how to do that, and I would, but there weren't hills over there. So this is different over here. And, uh, I was going down the road, and it started to curve. And you know, when you go over a hill, and now you see the bottom is way down there, you think to yourself, I wish I was going slower. Because I'm not going to slow down. <laughs> and I'm already going fast enough. And so I hit the first curve in the road, and the back end came out. I'm like, oh, but I got it back. And then I hit the next curve and the back end broke out. And I'm like, oh, and I got it back. And then there was the final like big curve and boy, it broke all the way loose and bang, right in the ditch. Front end, the big, got a big crooked smile on the front of my grand marquee. And there was somebody following me. And they were, they were a little ways behind, a couple minutes behind. And so they saw the marks on the road. And they were, they were telling me the story afterwards, which I wasn't in a good mood at the time. Um, <laughs> but they were telling me, yeah, we, we saw you, those tire marks come out. We thought, oh, oh, we got it back. And they were like, oh no, we lost it again. And then finally they saw it just kabam. They, they, I was still in that spot. And so uh, they found me there. And, and you know how guys are? They proceeded to critique my correcting capacity. 
You know, like, well, if you'd have done this, if you'd have done that, maybe if you hit the gas a little bit more. I'm like, like, I was not in the mood for correction. But this working out your salvation with fear and trembling means we have to face correction. But that brings us into who we are actually supposed to be. I don't like crashing cars into the ditch and getting them all crooked and wrecking them. It's not good. I want to know how to drive better. Of course, the simplest thing would have been just be going slower. That would have been the best. And I almost got it. But I was not at all in the mood for correction. And sometimes, Christians are not in the mood to get better. Because we know we've been set free from the consequences of sin. And so we feel justified in staying mired in walking in sin. That's a good one. I'm going to get a cough as my ringtone. I, I haven't done that yet. I've been talking about it for a long time. But then... When it's a quiet place, I won't be the, you know, I'll just go like this and then it will seem like, seem like it was fine. Excuse me, pardon me. But since we've been set free from the consequences of sin, it can take away some of our motivation to get set free from sin in our daily life. In fact, there can be whole doctrines based on that where, hey, you don't need to get rid of sin in your daily life at all. Well, guess what you do? (laughs) We're called to do that. That's why we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't losing the forgiveness that God has offered you. It's getting on the road that He's called you to and becoming fully who God has created you to be. We need to work through that. If we don't work through that, we can't do the reach out part right. We need to be able to reach this community. We need to be able to reach this world. Why is that? Because Jesus loves everyone outside the church. Why why do evangelism? Because Jesus loves those people. And I like those people because I was one of those people. (laughs) And they can be really great to hang out with. We want to rise up out of our sin. We are saved from getting off the road. We are guided by His Spirit. We are saved from not becoming who He created us to be. But we have to work that out. Forgiveness is there for the asking. We just, boom, we take it. But this other getting on on the right road, we have to work that out. And then we are saved from this whole world of sin. Did you know Jesus is coming back? Jesus is coming back. And He is he's coming back different than the first time around. And we're going to do, in the fall, we'll do a series on end time events. Not 
picking dates or anything, but just making sure that we know what it is that happened. Because a lot of people don't realize Jesus is coming back. You don't want me to pick dates? Seth has some ideas about that. He does. <laughs> and it's okay, it's okay to anticipate the coming of the Lord. Amen? But let's not be foolish. Let's not, let's not do any of that stuff. But we need to know what's going on. Jesus is coming back. And it's going to be a different story. Instead of ushering in the day of salvation, it'll be the day of judgment. And the day of salvation will be over. And something different will happen. And sin will be wiped out. Let's read Hebrews 9, 27, and 28. Hebrews 9, 27, and 28 says this, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. So here's salvation in the future. We're waiting for this salvation. We don't believe and it comes to pass. It's going to happen either way. We don't work it out with fear and trembling. It's just coming. And we wait patiently for it. So here salvation is used to denote the coming of Christ and He will bring salvation to those who are waiting. Meaning that this world will get fixed. It's broken. It's cursed even. How many people do you think are off the path that God has for them? When, yeah. If you're off the path, it's not just about you. If you're off the path, it hurts everybody else that you interact with. And there's all kinds of ramifications and impact that that has. And we see that because we walk around in this world and the ramifications of it hit us all the time. That will come to an end when Jesus returns. We're going to, uh, we're going to conclude. And as we do that, I want us to understand there's kind of a progression in these three particular things. First of all, salvation as receiving the forgiveness that Christ has offered, to be willing to be redeemed, to be willing to accept His work that frees us from the consequences of sin. That happens in a moment. We pray and we ask and we know He will forgive us. That sets us up to then work out becoming the fullness of who we are. Because we're not pulled down by our past. We're not pulled down by that garbage. We're able to then make progress in working out who we're supposed to be. And as we do that, we are ready for His coming. If we haven't started that process, we're not ready for His coming. If we ask for forgiveness, we work out that getting on the right road, then we are ready for His coming. So we're going to close in prayer. 
if you have not yet, I want every let's let's do the every uh, everybody bow your heads thing. It's always fun. I want you to check. Just having grown up in church doesn't mean you've asked for forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you have received salvation and said, Lord, forgive me, free me from the consequences of my sin. If you know that you need to be set free from the consequences of sin and you haven't done that, I want you to raise your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, go ahead and repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving me. Thank You for seeing value in me. Thank You for sending Your Son to redeem me to save me, to free me, that I should not fear the consequences of my sin. Thank You for paying the price for me. Heavenly Father, now help me to walk in Your ways so that I may be ready for Your return. Praise be to your name. Praise be to your name. Hallelujah.